Hello everyone, Kat Smith here. Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga. Today's episode is the last third of a three-part series that Christy and I have put out there for you all to listen. And uh, the three episodes are all compiled from little tidbits, snippets um, from all of the interviews that we've done so far over the span of a year. And we have decided to divide these episodes according to triads. So first one was all um, combined from uh, the parts of interviews from the guests who fall into heart triad. Second episode was all about head triad. And this last third one is um, for guests who um, fell into the body triad. So hopefully you were able to listen to the first and second one and are ready for this one. If not, I encourage you to listen to them all. I think you'd really enjoy them. And before I let you go, I wanted to remind you that Christy and I are so happy to lead a couple of yoga teacher training sessions this year that are happening in our beautiful city in Chattanooga and are hosted by two premier yoga studios. First one is going to be at Southern Soul Yoga Studio on October 28th. Another one is going to be at Yoga Landing Studio on November 3rd, 4th, and 5th. And with that one, you're able to join us for the entire weekend or just portion of it. Links to register are on our website. Feel free to check them out. If you have questions, reach out. We will be happy to answer. I genuinely hope we will see you there. And for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. We have interviewed six Enneagram 8s. They're all yoga teachers. And I want to start out with you hearing the voice of Lisa McBride. She is an 8 with a 7 wing. Yeah. I would say your class also feels fun to me, which knowing that you're an 8, at least I learned that from Kat, um, it made me wonder if you have a 7 wing. Because strong 7 wing. Strong 7 wing. Because it feels mm-hmm. fun. The music you play yeah. is fun. You have a fun personality. So I feel that in your yoga classes. Very adventurous. I, I, I doubt you remember, but even back in the day at the sports barn, when you taught there, I used to take your classes. Yeah. And so, I mean, it felt strong. It mm-hmm. was always strength building, but there's a lot of that fun spirit that I just want to acknowledge in you. Yeah, so my dad has been my biggest teacher my mm. entire life. He passed away about nine years ago. But my dad... The way he was raised, one of 16 children, very poor. Mm -hmm. But you really, I remember him saying one time, I don't sit down until I'm about to fall over. And I'm Mm kind of like, wow. And so I thought that's what you had to do. But it was also, and this was my mom too, we, we, like having fun and being silly, that was too much. Yeah. This is too much. Yeah. Yeah. Work yourself to death. But don't have fun. Yeah. So it took me a long time to know that that was okay, and you can mm. be be silly and mm. let people be silly mm-hmm. too, and you mm-hmm. know, yeah. Well, and that's I think that's one of the interesting things that we have the opportunity to learn from our parents and keep what we want to keep that's healthy, and then change the patterns that aren't. And so that pattern of being too serious that was in your yeah. mom and the hard working in your dad you can keep that work ethic without overdoing it like your dad did and then still have fun. Yeah. And I see that in you. I yeah. see that in you. So it's, that's great. It's still the, ba- the balance. Mm-hmm. It's the balance. Balance. Yeah. Yeah. Our next Enneagram 8 is Jessica Jolly, the owner of Yoga Landing. Uh, so listen to what she has to say about identifying as an Enneagram 8. Okay, so this this came up immediately. <clears throat> Hillary Libby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hillary Libby, phenomenal teacher. Mm-hmm. I love her as a dear friend. She owns Wildflower Tea Shop and Apothecary in Chattanooga. So good. I love it's their so tea. So good. Mm-hmm. So good. And um, 
I have I have not been practicing Ashtanga for like a couple of years, maybe longer now. Um, but I kind of got back into it like in the past, you know, I guess it was like five years back. Mm-hmm. I really got back into it where I was like going five, six days a week. Mm-hmm. And I went in, she was teaching. So this is not what I would say. I'm assuming I'm an eight because this is what she said to me. And it like was right. Mm-hmm. I go in, it's the room is full. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has a, you know, a big group. And then if you're not familiar with Ashtanga, my sore, you go in and everybody starts at different times because you're learning the same sequences. Mm-hmm. And so you just go in whenever and you start. And so it's quiet in there. There's no music and the teacher doesn't talk that much. So they really do become like psychologists because mm-hmm. they notice your pace. They notice if you have a fiery quick breath or if you have a slow, lazy breath. Mm-hmm. They notice your grunting or your sighing or you're looking out the window and getting distracted or you're fixing your shirt 50 times. Mm. They start noticing body language and and tone from your sounds you're making and wow. your breath. And I think on the communication wheel, I'm a school counselor just just yeah, to tell the audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the communication pie chart, 70% of communication is tone, mm-hmm. if I remember that correctly, which mm-hmm. is amazing. So it's like the tone of your pace, the tone of your mm-hmm. breath, the tone of like, are you easing and gliding into your poses mm-hmm. or are you cranking into your poses, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so the tone. And then the other, the nonverbals. Like nonverbal is like mm-hmm. then another something percent and then the other little sliver is like what you actually say communication wise so i mean you can pick up yeah a lot by watching observing and listening as a teacher Mm -hmm. you know and i'm it's one of those where i must be really pissed off about something (laughs) like i must be Mm -hmm. because i'm in there like a fiery dragon just it's that tone Mm mm-hmm she watches me for like an hour or something. <laughs> and I was practicing about an hour, 15 minutes, 20 minutes at that time. Never puts her hands on me. There's lots of, lots of assisting there. She was like staying away from me. She didn't want, <laughs> my, away she didn't want my bad energy. She didn't want to touch me. She finally slowly walks past me and she leans down and says, I see that you're strong. Mm. How about you try to be soft? Wow. Y'all. Wow. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> I do not cry very much. Mm-hmm. I'm getting emotional. It cracked my heart open, and I was like the loud, sobby, trying to catch my breath, <laughs> snot on the yogi toes. I was the crier, and I just let it go, and I was like, you know, but she yeah. got me. Yeah. And it was right at the perfect time. And yeah. So, you know, we have a rapport and a, a, a 15 year relationship as friends and as colleagues. And I, at one point I was her teacher. I'm not any longer. I think we teach each other. Maybe we're yeah. coaching. We teach yeah. each other. Um, but um, so that was deep. And like a comment that she let me know, but um, there was trust for trust, her to make that comment. Trust, yeah. I trust her. Next up is Jenna Wright, the owner of Southern Soul Yoga. Tell me about being an Enneagram Eight. What do you love about being an Enneagram Eight? <laughs> and then, what's the challenge? Uh, well, I'm the challenger, right? Is that yes? The you're the challenger um, or the boss? Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, Enneagram 8, I think, is like a double-edged sword, right? So everything that I love, I also struggle. Um, Mm -hmm. So what I love about my 8 is get shit done. Mm -hmm. Yes. 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 Okay, good. Okay, good. Um, So, uh, you know, I get shit done. Um, I'm not not sort of like wishy-washy on my decisions. Like if I make Mm -hmm. a decision, it's like that's it. Um, So I've had to really learn to be like a little gentler um, Mm -hmm. because people – want to call me a bitch um which I'm fine with and um also I guess 
the struggle part of that is the fact that I'm like, oh shit, I got to get all this stuff done by myself because mm-hmm. yeah. I don't trust other people to get things that are very important done um, mm-hmm. and done the way that they need to be done <laughs> in my eyes. <laughs> So just a little pushback. How are you working on the trust piece? Because that's part of the growth for the eight is learning to let go of control, Mm -hmm. learning to receive from others, to let down your wall, to soften. So how are you working Um, on that? Yoga has helped a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I bet. I think dealing with yoga personalities, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot tend to be sensitive. So I try not to like come guns a blazing, like yelling at people. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think honestly, what has worked, for me, and I don't know if this is the right approach, probably not, but it's who I am, um, Mm -hmm. is that I just have to fire people or take them off of my team immediately if they're not performing, because it's just going to cause a ton of frustration for me. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me to trust somebody, they have to prove that they're trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And so that's huge phrase, we trust nobody. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's really been kind of the thing where it's like, okay, I can be friends with this person and I can love them, but I, I can't allow them into this space mm-hmm. with me. It needs mm-hmm. to be someone who understands the way I need it to be done and they mm-hmm. do it right. Yeah. Well, no, that's necessarily working Shh. through it. But. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've told you this before. I love the fact that you are so unapologetic about who you are and how you are. Yes. And <clears throat> it is such an attractive quality. Um the confidence and just being sure of yourself because so many people, they don't even know yeah. who they are. They, you know, apologize for who they are. So good for you. Well, you like it. Most other people don't like it. Well, and <laughs> then let me tell you, speaking, well, speaking of your team. So yeah. I just want to, and we'll talk about it more in depth at the end of the episode, but not only are you a yogi and a yoga teacher, you're also a business owner. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so also being an eight and my personality type, I'm not satisfied if I'm not in control. So I always knew that I needed to own my own business Mm -hmm. because I needed to be able to be in control of my financial freedom, be in control of my glass ceiling, be in control of how I grew. Mm -hmm. Um, and when it's yours, the sky is the limit. Um, Mm -hmm. I worked corporate for a while and I was absolutely miserable because I was like, it's basically up to somebody else how much money I'm allowed to make. It's up to somebody else when I get promoted. It's up to somebody else what responsibilities I'm allowed to fulfill. And so I knew I needed to own my own business because mm-hmm. I need to not, I need to have the freedom to grow mm-hmm. um, on my own, on my own terms, grow my, you know, grow my staff, grow my own practice, grow my own teachings, all of that. I needed to, I know that I need to have that because it's very frustrating for me <laughs> to watch things be done. <laughs> not right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've, yeah, so I've always owned, um, I actually graduated my yoga teacher training and opened a studio right away. I never worked. I never worked at a studio in my life until I moved here. Mm-hmm. And I worked at the studio that I now own for four months. Um, but I never worked for anybody else. And before that, it was Pilates, and I only taught privates. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then I was a 1099 at a studio that I really loved. Yep. But I've never worked for anybody else. Um, so it's just not even an option for me mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. work for other people. Next up is Brittany Williams, another Enneagram 8 marriage and family therapist and a yoga teacher. Um, so you are an Enneagram 8, and I'm wondering, like, as an Enneagram 8 living in the southern United States, that's got to be challenging sometimes. So tell me about, like, what that is like for you. Well, it was something that I think I've had to kind of come to terms with mm-hmm. because I get a lot of pushback, I think. But um, thankfully, I was raised in a home where... I was always taught to speak up for myself and to voice my opinions. And as I was kind of thinking about this over the last few days, I was raised in a Christian house where, you know, the implicit, explicit messages sometimes, not necessarily from my parents, but just from the community in general, was that women's kind of purpose was to serve men and that we weren't really capable, didn't have the skill set, I think, mm-hmm. to be leaders. Um, and it's like, you know, you can be in charge of children's church and the Christmas tea, and then everything else is kind of up to the men. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad saying, women are just too emotional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and which is hilarious coming from my dad, who is like a self-proclaimed crier. 
and is a very emotional person. Mm-hmm. And um, But also, we went to a church that women were pastors. They were able to pray over the congregation and lead worship. So it's kind of this, like, double-sided message yeah. that I was getting. And um, I remember, too, my parents definitely put a high priority on my education. And I remember them kind of calling out their peers who would treat their sons differently from their daughters. And they would say, oh, they sent their sons to this school, but their daughter to this school because they didn't want to, you know, invest in her Mm -hmm. education. And they made it really clear that my education was just as important as all three of my brothers. And they found that to be, you know, an important investment. And so I think even though I got all these messages about women should be, and girls, you know, should be quiet, agreeable, um, seen and not heard, Mm -hmm. be the support role, not the leader. Um, Also got a lot of messages at home that my voice is valuable, that I should speak up. And um, so I think that that allowed me to really find my voice. And then I think, too, going to an all-girls school from middle school and high school, it kind of took away that feeling of, oh, I shouldn't speak up or feeling like I might be embarrassed Mm -hmm. about talking in front of people. We were really encouraged to raise our hand, to contribute to conversation. And that I I didn't really realize that until I went to college and I was like the only girl in the classroom raising my hand and having conversations with the professor. And uh, it was like, oh, I guess that I did kind of develop this skill over time because, you know, in high school, it was like everybody was contributing to the conversation. And so um, I think that, thankfully, even though sometimes I did internalize those messages of be quiet, you're too much, you know, your voice doesn't matter, thankfully I had these kind of places in my life that really did support that Eight within me of, mm-hmm. of wanting to speak up so mm-hmm. but and then I think too it's helped me to realize that people who really love me and care about me are the ones who love that about me mm-hmm. and it's like if you don't like that about me if you want to tamper me down then you know you're I'm not for you and that's okay yeah yeah Next up is Michelle Loveless, the owner of Outshine Adventures, also a wonderful yoga teacher and Enneagram 8. Yeah. I, 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 like, this, I like this question a lot because it's something as an 8 that I am constantly working on and mm-hmm. things that I notice. Um, and through therapy, <laughs> I am um, able to kind of break down these these walls and and welcome vulnerability. But um, I think the hardest for me has been with my family, right? So like mm-hmm. my my parents, especially, um, trying to break the walls of vulnerability towards them because I always had to be strong. Um, for my mom and then my dad who wasn't really around. So these emotions of like, you know, being hurt because I, I had, I had to grow up so quickly um, and be, I was, I was, I, I like to say I was the ears and the voice of my mother because I was the mm-hmm. oldest and my mother was deaf. And so wow. by the age of five, I was calling the heating and cooling people and making appointments for my mom. And Mm -hmm. I was interpreting at parent teacher conferences, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. um, I think that, that hurt, you know, this, the sadness of my childhood almost being stripped away. Um, but also this, like this sadness of being neglected or abandoned (laughs) in Mm -hmm. a sense, because you know, this, the, the child that was growing inside of me was kind of abandoned because I had to be an adult. 
um, and neglected. And, and then, you know, and then when you think about a parent who is deaf, I mean, they're not hurtfully abandoning, abandoning you or neglecting sure. you, but, but because of their deafness, that's just kind of what happens. Um, and, you know, I think being able to tell my mom that she wasn't the greatest of moms. Like she wasn't there emotionally. She wasn't there supportively. Like she was there. She was a stay at home mom, mm-hmm. but she wasn't there emotionally. Um, and I often struggle with like what Enneagram was my mom, you know? And I, I mm-hmm. think she was an eight <laughs> or she is. Oh, I mean, she's wow. still alive. Yeah. Um, and I think she, I think she is an eight. Um, and so when you are an eight and your parent is an eight, like that's, wow. I think that's really, really um, a challenging situation. Um, and now, you know, my mom has dementia on top of her deafness now. And wow. so it's like, it's like, you know, I'll never be able to tell her that, you know, how I feel. I'll, I'll never be able to get to that point for her to even understand where I'm coming from, you know? Um, Mm. I did, however, um, two years ago, um, send a note to my father and tell him everything. Like Mm. I just let it all out and we have not spoken since. So, um, so yeah, like (laughs) you were vulnerable and then there, there wasn't any empathy or response and that must've been really painful. And then with your mom, it sounds like you had to be so responsible and so strong, um, at an early age that, that being weak, um, you know, and, and being cared for and being nurtured, you know, like that, that wasn't an option and that wasn't afforded to you. And I'm, I'm so sorry. And, and your story reminds us that the Enneagram, uh, and our personality is very formed by early childhood experiences. And also sometimes we can end up the same number as a parent, um, because that's, you know, a lot of the energy that we've had in the house yeah. that we model that, right? I think I'm pretty yeah. sure I'm an Enneagram too. I'm pretty sure that my mom is, um, she hasn't taken the test yet and keeps telling, <laughs> telling me she's going to, um, she's too busy helping people to take the test, right. but, right. um, but thank you for, you know, Enneagram eights can be wonderful at transparency, but vulnerability is harder for them. And so that, that vulnerability about your story was very brave. And uh, I just, um, I appreciate that. So thank you. Next up is Joe Timberlake. So we've had five female Enneagram eights representing and our sole Enneagram eight male again is Joe Timberlake. And he is a yoga teacher. He is a coach and just a really great human being. Tell me about Enneagram. Okay. So the Enneagram Around the same time, uh-huh. so I'm, I joined a church with my wife at the time, and uh, being sort of a 12-step person, I do everything mm-hmm. kind of in that way, in an addictive sort of way, so I joined yeah. a church, and so I'm doing everything in this church, everything. I mean, I'm on the vest, I get elected to the vestry, I do all this stuff, and then we're teaching a couple's class, and it's crazy. I mean, I, I can't do anything like halfway, so... You're an eight, by the way. I'm yeah. definitely an eight. You're a reformer, <laughs> challenger, manager. Absolutely. High energy. <laughs> and so the couples class, part of the text for this couples mm-hmm. thing was the wisdom of the Enneagram. Oh, that book. That I have it on my, on my coffee table right now. Absolutely. And so it's like, what is the Enneagram? What is this thing? And I started mm-hmm. looking at it. And, we had to, and so we decided, Carol and I, mm-hmm. had to take a... The test. There okay. was this little fifty question thing yeah. they want us to do, and they suggested they have you do it, and somebody that's really close to you do it too. <gasps> you know, for you yeah. to see if it, it matches. matches up. If you are honest. And so Carol, and I, so I picked an eight uh-huh. right off, but I was like thirty-five of my questions matched up. Fifty out of fifty for her. Oh, wow. wow. For you, yeah. she, she said, you're an eight. nailed you an eight. Yeah. And, and she saw the, 
the good eights and the eight wings and all that yeah. stuff. It's, yeah. And sometimes not such a wonderful eight, but you're at eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She knew me. But we, we uh, both got into this Bikram, I yeah. mean, this Enneagram yeah. thing and, and never looked back. It's and been never really looked good. back. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. That's a long time. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself as an oh, eight gosh. on the Enneagram? Well, I've learned that I can run over people, places, situations, because I'm kind of a ready fire aim type. Mm-hmm. Sort of in my nature, I have these instincts. I'm like my, I've got this one year old Great Pyrenees German Shepherd mixed puppy, mm-hmm. and he goes on high alert, and he's, mm-hmm. he's, and, and I've also got a one year old, I mean, a um, 12, eight week old puppy, Black Lab, and Bear is doing great with his puppy, but mm-hmm. he's in charge. Mm-hmm. And you can't. Mm-hmm. And when he's in charge, when he's on high alert, you can't really tell him anything. Mm-hmm. So that's a little. Is better. he an eight? <laughs> that's you know, we we peg our dog. Like I, I I have a dog who's a seven, and I have a dog who's like I don't know, maybe I don't know, a seven too. I, yeah. But yeah. pets get the numbers too. I think bears an eight, and so is JJ. Huh. Is an eight too? This little rascal is jumping. My son's and in town with his girlfriend and they have yeah. their two dogs mm-hmm. they have this big golden doodle about as big as that couch yeah and and junior is jumping up on these dogs trying to bite them and they're like and he's freaking these dogs out yeah and he's you know just a little bitty guy but he's a big chunky kind of a he's an eight too so you're yeah. like a bear a whole house full mm-hmm. of eights yeah. <laughs> god bless all of y'all <laughs> so what have i learned i've learned I've learned about myself that I tend to gravitate towards taking control, being, mm-hmm. you know, helping people. The challenger is, I think, is sort of the the name, one of the names for an eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm about challenging. I'm about looking for a challenge. I'm about standing up for what I believe in at work. Yeah. Standing up for justice. myself mm-hmm. and, and showing up for other people mm. and showing up for my puppies and, and uh, yeah, justice. And so I've learned those things, but I've also learned that that I need to really manage, be be aware of how I do that. And so some things in my life, recovery, one of them, has really helped me mm-hmm. surrender, mm-hmm. let go. And yoga's helped me learn how to breathe yeah. and be mindful. And coaching is something that I do. And chronic pain coaching has taught me how to walk alongside people as opposed to in front of them. Yeah. And so all those things have kind of contributed to yeah. getting me to a place where I can be, I can manage that and harness it because mm-hmm. it can, it can be like bear. It can be way out in front of me or I can, mm. it's like I'm holding on this leash and that leash yeah. is me, yeah. you know, on the other end of it. And yeah. I've got to, okay, all right, what's going on with you? Mm-hmm. And that's another one is that self-awareness. Yeah. And... Well, the arrow of health for the eight is the two, and it sounds like your recovery process has Mm -hmm. deepened your empathy. It's helped you to serve others, and like you said, it's helped you to walk alongside people instead of in front of them, so you've developed that relational part of the two, the high side of the two. I think that that sounds like your recovery process has really helped you to be the best version of an eight. It's something we're all still striving for, to be the healthiest version of ourselves. I think that's accurate. Yeah. Because recovery is about, if you're not moving forward, you're moving closer to a drink mm. or a drug. Mm-hmm. And so if we get stagnant, mm-hmm. we don't really do well. Yeah. And, and Or at least I don't, partially because of my personality set. But recovery is about moving, self-awareness, take, helping others, yeah. And uh, and and that leads me to having a better life, you know. And it, yeah. life is good when I do that. Yeah. Next up is Kristen Moore, Enneagram Nine, and marriage and family therapist. In this piece, she is talking about the unconscious childhood messages of the nine. Type Nine. It's not okay to assert yourself. Yeah. Um, so for nines like myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> asserting themselves um, is very scary because it feels like conflict, and conflict is scary for nines. Mm-hmm. Um, even just inner conflict, like it, it feels um, scary to assert assert yourself. You know that kind of like causes some anxiety. Like 
was that okay? Da, 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 you know, but also with other people, like what if they don't agree or what if they don't like my choice or what if they don't agree with my opinion or what if they're mm-hmm. upset with me or whatever it is that can feel very scary. Um, and nines spend so much of their life, you know, trying to just blend in and keep the peace and go along to get along. And so the best way to do that is just to have no needs, because if I can have no needs, then I can control that. Mm-hmm. I can control me. Yeah. You know, I can mm-hmm. stuff it down, you know, mm-hmm. for a time. We know how that ends mm-hmm. up. Um, and I can I can know, OK, well, it's it's fine because I'm fine. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, to assert yourself, like there is so much growth and health in that. But it, it can feel very intimidating for a nine because there is a lot of inhibitions around asserting yeah. yourself, mm-hmm. you know. Um, from a lot of different messaging, but, you know, for them to know, like, it is okay and and very healthy for you to assert yourself and to Mm -hmm. show up. Um, I love you guys, what you posted, the quote for nines about um, essentially, like, you're not doing anyone a service by making yourself smaller. Yeah. I was like, wow. (laughs) Wow. Because that's, you know, um, I think that's kind of what nines feel. It's like, I, this is for the betterment of others Mm -hmm. is I'm going to become less. Mm-hmm. And really what you're doing is you're, you're taking your presence away, which is a gift to relationship and emotional intimacy with other people and to the world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good stuff. So I would say the message for nines then becomes don't diminish yourself. Right. Like get big, get big, like an eight can, mm-hmm. right? Like show up in the world, show up and do follow your vocal aspirations whatever they are show up in your marriage and speak Mm -hmm. up and don't keep pushing down the anger that you might have Mm -hmm. towards your partner but allow yourself to kind of learn how to speak on a regular basis about what you're feeling and what you're mad about and you know just start showing up by going out to eat with your friends and when they ask where you want to go say oh let's go to the mean mug. I love the mean mug right. instead of saying, I don't know, where do you want to go? Right? Like, cause that's the nine yeah. energy. Just let me go with the flow and please other people and accommodate them. And, yeah. and so, and that makes the nines most likely to be codependent. Mm-hmm. I mean, twos can struggle with that too, but I think nines even a little bit more than twos. Um, because they just want to please and make yeah. everybody happy and keep that peace. And that's beautiful in so many ways but then it can be also that Achilles heel of the Mm -hmm, nine is that they just let go of their own dreams and Mm -hmm. so what are your dreams nines and Mm -hmm. like how can you go for them and you know and that's why that you know arrow of strength for the nine is being more like a three being more goal oriented achieving things showing up in a big way and yeah so Mm -hmm. any other thoughts on our beautiful nines what i love about enneagram the most is when you hear something or you read something and it truly resonates with you and you think to yourself I have felt this way and I have mm-hmm. thought this way and I experienced something this way. So I've just had this this moment when Kristen was talking about the conflict. And I think me being a one and tapping into the nine wing maybe every once in a while. Like I don't have problem with the conflict, but I hate if somebody's mad at me. Mm-hmm. And to feel this, like you said about your husband, that's how you feel all the time. <laughs> Oh, my God, that would be excruciating. Like, I would need to get it resolved. And if I know that, and I very rarely make mistakes when somebody, (laughs) I'm just playing, when somebody's (laughs) mad at me, really has legit reason to be. But it is so dreadful Mm -hmm. to feel that way and not being able to snap your fingers like, okay, let's poof it away. So... Anyway, it's all about, for us, true vulnerability, I feel, and, you know, dig in deeper and see and, you know, is there shame? Is there fear? Is there anger? Is there, and, and, and just accepting it, mm-hmm. you know, when we've read these messages and, you know, the, the messages, it's not okay, well, then take a knot out of the sentence mm-hmm. and connect to what is okay but I think we've all everybody is somewhat damaged in some kind of way and we're probably messing up our children as well some kind of way and our children will mess up that just the circle of life so it's not not one of these was worse than the other 
and no. they just they are just are yeah. but if you can connect to whichever one that's the pathway of growth that's mm-hmm. the pathway of growth of healing you know mm-hmm. yourself and these these wounds that we all have yeah. and i think that that's that's so true is there's not a number that's better than another. Yeah. There's not a person that's mm-hmm. better than another. Or more damaged yeah. or had the worst <laughs> childhood or like my worst than yours. Yeah. Because if it's yours, you feel that the yeah. most. Yeah. You know, if it's not your type, you hear it and you understand it. But then when it's yours, you truly feel it. And you yeah. feel yourself being a kid again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the heavy part. It is. And a lot of this Enneagram work is about letting the ego go and acknowledging, you know, that that we do have some work to do, that we are, like you said, all going to be imperfect parents and imperfect people. And yet we can still, you know, strive to 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 grow and to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. I, I think the first time that I heard that pride was the deadly sin for the two, I thought, I don't have pride. And then the more I <laughs> proudly, it, she said, oh, yes, I have a lot of, a lot of pride and, and wanting to be helpful and seen as good yeah. and all of these things that show up for a two with a one wing. And, um, and so the Enneagram invites us to look at ourselves and, and to say, Hmm, yeah, that might be, that might be true for me. And how can I work on that? So this is, this is good stuff. Well, thank you guys for looking at the childhood messages and, uh, we'll move on to the, the lost or needed childhood messages in our next episode. Next up is Brittany Young. She is a school teacher, yoga teacher, and Enneagram nine. You will love hearing her gentle Enneagram nine voice. Yeah. So I definitely avoid conflict. I've always just, I found that I feel very unsafe in conflict and I don't feel secure. Um, but I know that it's good for me. I know that it's good to enter into that because it can create more peace in the future. Um, but something that I found that's helped me in that process is finding safe people to, um, enter into conflict with when you need to. Um, my husband's that for me. So I feel very safe with him. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's like good practice. So if it's something small, challenging myself to bring it up, it's really hard to do, but it's good practice for me because I haven't done conflict much when I do enter into it. I don't know how to do it very well. Mm -hmm. Um, and so having that practice with safe people makes it a lot easier when I do enter into that conflict with people I may not feel as safe or as comfortable with. Mm. Um, Yeah, and that definitely has helped. (laughs) But it's so hard still. It's so hard. (laughs) It is so hard. And it's great that you have that opportunity to know who's safe, Mm. your husband being one of those people. So that hopefully eventually because, you know, the workplace is a place where there can be a lot of conflict so that if you practice it with him, hopefully yes. you'll be ready at some point for yes. <laughs> the workplace. Oh, um, definitely. <laughs> but, you know, the gift of the peacemakers, that gentle spirit um, also ties in to what you have to work on. And even though you're so gentle, that's great. But then sometimes you have to be that peaceful warrior, like the pose in yoga, where you yeah. bring the peace, but also you bring that strong sense of self so yeah thank you for that yeah and I get it and you know when um we took Christy's workshop I remember um I was gravitating towards you because you reminded me of my mom I think my mom was a nine mm. and something that you just said that the conflict is difficult so my mom when I was much older told me one time she's like you know so I got married and my father did something wrong and she's like and she's like, I think we need to have a fight, and I don't know what to say. She's like, I don't even know how to fight. No. I don't know what words to. And I yeah. thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever like. <laughs> for me, it's right da 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 da. But it's true. Yeah. So it's it's real. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah, and yeah. I think I'll leave like conversations of. Um, things that bother me and I'll come home and I can express them so clearly to my husband or even like if I talk on the phone to my sister. But if I get in the room with the person who I have conflict with, it's like all of that goes away away. because Mm -hmm. I feel like if I were to vocalize truly how I felt to them, I would hurt them. 
And that would mm-hmm. cause a separation, which is, you know, one of those fears of the nine is yeah. not, you know, being alone or yeah. being separated. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. so mm-hmm. that's one of those things of like, well, if I just keep it low key, yeah. people won't want to like leave me or walk yeah. away from a relationship. But sometimes entering that conflict makes those relationships healthier in the long run. Right. Yeah. So it's all looking like long term. Yeah. That's hard. Very wise. That is so wise. And that's true. The fear of fragmentation. Mm -hmm. You know, the nines want to merge with others. They want to be at harmony. And yet conflict. And like you said, in the short Mm -hmm. term, it's really hard. In the long term, it's really good for you Mm -hmm. and that person because you teach them that, you know, they can't run all over you. And then we have to check our stories too. The the Mm -hmm. actual story that's probably more true is that, it, it will be hard for them and hard for you. But the thing about nines is that they're so likable that that person is probably still going to want you in their life. And so sometimes these stories we have are not really true and we need to question yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. So I'm a one and mm-hmm. I think I fluctuate between two and nine wing constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and autonomy is really important for nines, I know, and the same for ones. So the opposite of conflict is comfort and harmony. Mm-hmm. So are those things important to you? And if they are, how do you create them in your life? Yeah, I love making things comfortable and making things cozy. Those are things that I like, I'm passionate about. So for me, that means like turning mundane tasks into things that are like life-giving and joyful. Um, So whether it's like I'm cleaning my house and I have to clean all the showers and tubs. And so my reward in my mind is like, okay, when I get this done, I can make, you know, I can have a bubble bath. Or um, Mm -hmm. when I'm grading papers for school, like, okay, this isn't fun, but I'm going to make myself a cup of tea and get out my favorite gel pens or um, making dinner. I always put on Nora Jones. I feel like she's like, you know, makes me a little bit of an old soul to listen to her (laughs) at my age. Um, But it's just trying to make those things that are not as fun can be just kind of boring, trying to make them joy filled. And, um, yeah, I love just making things cozy and, um, adding like a blanket to any room, just, um, Mm. little things like that. Like hearing you speak, I'm like, I am there for it. I wish I was in your space. Yeah, I want the tea. I want the blanket. I want Nora Jones playing in the background. That, that yes. sounds lovely. Yes. It, it does, and it sounds comforting. Like yeah. a nine. Right, just to hear yeah. it. Yeah. Like I said, gravitate <laughs> Next up is Anthony Prince. He's a yoga teacher and life coach who is just so very wise, and I have enjoyed both of the interviews that we've had with him. I'd just love to know about how the Enneagram is helping you to heal parts of you that you need to heal. Mm. Um, so to acknowledge that, I need to tell you a little bit about my story. Um, mm-hmm. And so I grew up the youngest of three siblings, first-generation American here. My family is from Venezuela. Mm. Um, and so I was technically the first one born with papers. Um, well, the only one born with papers because I was the last one born. Mm -hmm. Um, and so a lot of expectation was put onto me as a child. And so, you know, as I started using Enneagram, I was able to start backtracking and even still, you know, I, I remember moments of like that were defining. I was like, Oh, right. Uh, this is why I am the way I am. And a lot of it comes from like having a lot of outside pressure. Um, because of, you know, a lineage that had, machismo exist which mm-hmm. for anyone that doesn't know what that is that is hyper masculinity in spanish um mm-hmm. and because of being the first born or the only born uh with papers there was a lot of like well you need to be the best at what you're doing yeah. you need to go to college you have to get a degree you have to make sure that you make a lot of money yeah. um because it's easier for you and we can't so you have to um which when i look back i'm like that's not fair um mm-hmm. and so you know, I, it was instilled into me that in order to find, um, in order to be liked by people, I had to achieve. Um, and that was, it was merit based. And so I, I adopted that mindset. And I think this is where I started pulling a lot of three influence in. Um, and things just weren't clicking, you know, Mm. that it turned, it turned out that that's, Hey, that's not really how you make friends. Mm. Um, your achievements don't create your social circles necessarily. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then, you know, from the other side of that, because that was my father's influence, I had a lot of, you know, anxiety, like, well, you have to worry about how you're presenting yourself and, um, are you doing what's best? What will other people think? Um, if you do that, won't this bad thing happen? And, you know, this is totally my mother's voice. So like, there's a lot of six and three energy and what happened to be like right in the cross relative to those was the nine. Um, and so I started, you know, really assessing the value of the Enneagram in that, um, holy cow. I mean, I started as a five first, just thinking like, and you know, as I think about it, things didn't really make sense. Uh, they don't make as much sense now as they did then. I was strictly focused on like the intellectual side of just like wanting to acquire knowledge, wanting to know about all types of people. When I was fiving into Enneagram, I was learning about all the numbers and was like, holy cow, wait, I'm actually doing the nine thing there. Um, because like everybody's interesting to me yeah. and I want to know what it is that gets everybody going. You know, the nine embodies a lot of a little bit of everyone. Yeah. Um, I think I think more so than the other numbers do um, because they have this sense of merging. Um, and so that is another thing that I've been starting to realize, like this little kid that said, well, if you do well, people will like you um, has kind of created a codependency through his teenage years mm -hmm. um, has really created an issue with merging with people. Like when I say merging, it's like you meet somebody and they have this problem and now you want to help them. Um, and you don't really remember what you were supposed to be doing for yourself and what comes inherently like supernaturally is like, what does this person need? And I can help them do that. Mm. Um, and so being a fixer kind of comes into play. And I realized this is something that needs to be worked on. Um, the Enneagram helped me kind of identify the issue and gave me some room to, you know, this is where yoga came back in and actually gave me work to do to help mm. fix this. Um, and so merging was something that it's still something I'm working through. And it really comes from me trying to avoid dealing with my own problems and my own feelings. Um, I think something else that comes inherent with the nine is like the, sitting in between this three and six space gives you this conforming and non-conforming energy and you are forever torn. If it's not clear as day what you mm -hmm. should be doing, then you're stuck. Um, mm -hmm. And I think in order to keep the peace, there must be neutrality with your thoughts. Yeah. Um, and so even something that might seem like a great idea is avoided because you know, even great things offer a come down and you don't want to feel that either. Mm -hmm. Subconsciously, that's how I looked at the world. So I um, found yoga as a way of inviting into myself and just like really increasing the, uh, the amount of awareness I had so I could ask myself in real time, am I willing to be present in this? Because that, that became very necessary. Mm -hmm. I had to yeah. be able to, find, to have enough awareness to ask, mm -hmm. am I willing to be here right now? Because otherwise, I'm usually emotionally checked out. Um, and that's why I can put on a smile like nobody's business and everything's always cool and chill. But, you know, mm -hmm. am I actually willing to be here? Um, because even happiness comes at a cost at some point. Next up is Enneagram 9 and yoga teacher Tracy Carlson. Welcome, Tracy, to Enneagram plus yoga. And Tracy is a yoga teacher. She teaches at the Sports Barn and at Yoga Landing. So you can catch any of her classes there at Yoga Landing. You could do the classes virtually or in person. Um, but she's a great yoga teacher, and we're really lucky to have her with us right now. She's also an Enneagram 9. And so for this holiday episode, tell us what would you recommend as a gift for an Enneagram 9? Ooh, I would say anything cozy for the house, like candles, blankets, soft robes, um, slippers are a good one, like fuzzy slippers. Yes. Anything comforting that makes you just feel like, oh, I'm in my home. I'm in this place where I can nest, right? Absolutely. Um, and then for you, what's the best gift that you've ever received as an Enneagram 9? Well, my favorite gift is the gift that keeps on giving is my dog. Uh, I've had her for five years and Aww. I've been a husband for her and we adopted her and brought her home right before Christmas. Oh, yeah. she was a Christmas gift. So tell everybody your dog's name. Her name is Piper. Aww. A golden doodle and she does not know she's a dog she totally thinks she's human <laughs> so she's a lot of fun I love having her and now that the kids are all in school all the time it's good to have 
someone around, you know, she, we walk together daily and yeah. That's such a perfect thing for an Enneagram nine, right? Like a dog that you can cuddle with and snuggle up to and just withdraw from the world and just have that time to kind of just be right. And, and yes. connect. I mean, Enneagram nines want to connect. They want to find harmony and peace and man, what better way to do that with an, than with an animal. Uh, so is, is she friendly and smart, like a typical golden doodle? Yeah, she's very friendly, um, very um, quick to learn. Um, she, like I took her on a hike this morning and she's off the leash and she stays right by me the whole time. And if she sees someone, she comes right back to me. Um, she's just the best dog ever. Oh, I love that. So Piper, that's wonderful. Well, Tracy, thank you for being with us. Love your answers. And uh, if you have an Enneagram nine in your life, you might want to ask them before you get them a dog, but, <laughs> uh, but a dog would be a great gift for an Enneagram nine. And also I love the idea of the candles or the slippers, just something that makes them feel cozy. Love that. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you so much, Christy. I love your podcast. Thank you. All right. Happy holidays. Yes, you too. Thanks. I absolutely love Maggie Spark. She is a yoga teacher and Enneagram One. Listen in. But you had mentioned earlier viewing yourself as bad at tennis or whatever. And that's that's something an Enneagram One does. So how do you move away from good or bad, right or wrong, yeah. to I am enough? Oh, yeah. Um... So I think growing up, I, you know, have, have always been this way, like feeling mm-hmm. less than or, you know, in, incomplete and inadequate in, in mm-hmm. all aspects, you know, mm-hmm. and, and um, was very self-deprecating. Like even when I was young, I was like always making fun of myself and jokes. And so I tend towards that and that is just my natural kind of inclination to just write it off as like, this is, let's all make fun of me. Cause you know, and to make it easier for everybody else or less, less uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's not a healthy, necessarily healthy practice. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody likes it when you, t- when someone talks bad about themselves, mm-hmm. you know, you think that it makes people feel better, but it really it's just kind of awkward, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, um, yeah, I've really, I mean, really had to just practice not apologizing. I'm mm-hmm. like learning that it, it just, I don't have to, I don't have to make other people comfortable with my abilities or something. I don't, that, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, yeah, but it does totally. And totally, (laughs) (laughs) and just like, I I have been doing um, therapy also this last year, Mm -hmm. the first time in my life. And, and she has pretty much every week tells me like, you were doing the best that you could with the tools that you had at that time, at at that situation. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know? And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm just trying to have more compassion in every small moment, you know, even if it's playing tennis or going for a jog and just being like, look at where you are, you know, mm-hmm. like you're just yeah. starting or maybe this is where you'll be forever, but you're having a good time, you know, and just enjoy this instead of thinking that, you know, it matters yeah. beyond enjoyment, you yeah. know, um, getting to the I am enough part is difficult. I'm not sure that mm-hmm. I'm 100% there or that's not the mantra that I tell myself every time, but just settling into like, just enjoying something just because it is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It's work. Mm-hmm. What comes more naturally to you, laughter or tears? Oh, um, probably laughter. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like I'm always on the edge of one, you know, it's like, it could go either way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about like when kids like get really tired and you can tell that they're about to like have a breakdown when they 
have the zoomies or something, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? They're like running around and uh-huh, it's like, everything's uh-huh. exciting, everything's exciting. And then it's just like, whoa, tears. It's going you know, like, down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, I think that I, you know, maybe can be that way sometimes, but um, externally, I like to think that I am joyful and bright, but there's, you know, there's some can you do a good? <laughs> can you do a good cry every once in a while? Oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah you definitely, do yes, yeah. yeah. Um, love to cry in movies and all the things. Right. I'm a, cry- I'm I'm a, a cry crier in the yeah. movies too. Do you <laughs> yeah. get embarrassed? I get so embarrassed. Oh, huh? Uh, it, it, and I cried the most. Like I remember so vividly. Toy Story three oh. or four. I don't remember. So I'm with my family, <laughs> and there's an and there's a part there where all the toys are about to go to this thing like incinerator yes. where they're gonna get burned up. So emotions are high, and then one toy like holds another toy's hand, and I lost my shit. I am, just, I mean, I'm not like wipe a tear away. I am sobbing, and this is the pretty much very end. So then we're all ushered out of the children's movie theater, and I am just yeah. like all over the place, puffy and red, and people like looking weirdly, and my family were like looking weirdly. Yeah, true story. I yeah, mean, I know the exact scene you're talking about. So I started right? Yeah. Gut wrenching. Very. Tear producing. Very much. <laughs> um, I don't know if I get embarrassed about it, mm. but I definitely am a, like a sobber in classes. Yeah. Sobber. I mean, in movies. I was like, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. It just is what it is. I've recently we've gotten really into going to the movies and I guess it's because we haven't been in like two years or something. Mm-hmm. And so we've gone three times in the last like month nice. or something. And both times I'm or two out of the three times, I am leaving the theater still in like a state of I'm like, I need a I need an hour afterwards, you know, to just like continue to process and like feel sad or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. Lingering. After we're done, I want to know what movies you went because I feel like I want to go see those movies. <laughs> well, and that's the thing that with with you being embarrassed, the ones tend to sometimes view things as good or bad. Mm-hmm. So if a one views their tears as good, then they may not have any trouble with yeah. the crime. But if they oh. view their tears as bad, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but tears are a wonderful thing. I mean, we release mm-hmm. toxins, we release, you know, stress hormones from the body when we cry. And so maybe as you start to reframe your tears as good, yeah. you might be less embarrassed. I don't know. That's just Whoa. something to sit with. Yes, <laughs> for real. <laughs> Next up is Sean Weller. He is a personal trainer, a martial arts expert, and a yoga teacher, also an Enneagram One. I think of um, Carl Jung saying, like, what you resist persists. And I, I think any sort of martial arts is teaching you, like, not to resist, to do the hard things, to cultivate the discipline instead yes. of the sloth. And I could see why a one would, like, naturally go to that. I mean, before we even started taping, you were talking about one of the disciplines was arriving 30 minutes before class, right? Like, yes. this is martial arts is going to teach children discipline, right? To, to not resist. It's going to be like the glit and dole. We can do hard things, right? Like it's instilling that in you. Um, I, I taught a yoga class this morning and I taught Eagle's Pose and I hate Eagle's Pose, but I was like going with that sort of (laughs) mantra of like, you know, what we resist yeah. persists and we yeah. don't grow if we resist things. And yeah. like, I know that that's a pose in yoga that I resist, mm-hmm. but I think martial arts and yoga can teach us like we can do these hard things on the mat and then we can do them off the mat. Yeah. Right. And yeah. we, we say that a lot as yoga, we're all three yoga teachers. And we say to our students often, like, you know, what you do on the mat will serve you off the mat in different ways. We say that, right? Uh, yes. One of the favorite sayings that, one of the, uh, I don't know who said this, a Korean saying uh-huh. is repetition leads to discovery. Ooh. The more you do something, the more you learn about it. Yeah. And we used to teach that, like, in martial arts, to learn how to kick, they say you, you got to learn how to kick is 
to learn how to do it right, you got to do it around 10,000 times. Mm. That is so neat you just said it. So I was sitting in the car talking to my husband. Our Just now, our oldest is fe- uh, daughter, female. She's at a wrestling camp. And she's having her ass handed to her <laughs> for 12 straight days. It's the hardest thing she's ever done. And I think she's in a state of shock. And my husband said, you know, I'm going to give her an example of Michael Jordan, who said I had to do 10,000 throws to just get one when I needed to get one, mm-hmm. you know, at that moment. It's repetition. Mm-hmm. You've got to continue. It's wash, rinse, and repeat. Cycle on 24-7. He literally said 10,000 times. This is like, it's yeah. in the universe. Oh, Bruce Lee would say... I do not fear the man that has mastered one kick. I fear mm-hmm. the man who has performed that kick 10,000 times. Right. Wow. It right. right. gives me chills again. Right. The, the sort of yoga saying, what you practice, you become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yes. Ooh, good stuff. Stay tuned for a meditation led by Kat Smith right after this word from our sponsor. Kat here wanted to welcome you to Body Awareness Meditation. So as always, if you're joining me for this short meditation practice, I encourage you to find a comfortable seat. You're welcome to sit on the floor or on a chair. And then finding a space where you sit down that allows for you to relax and have enough space around you to feel comfortable and safe. Perhaps it's a space that is not very loud, that you're able to find a sense of peace and quiet in. So making your way there, allow yourself to find a comfortable seat and then create stillness. So you want to relax your hands on your thighs or your knees. Maybe you soften your gaze or close your eyes completely. Take a full inhale through the nose. Open your mouth gently, exhale all of the air out. You have arrived. Now breathe, taking slow inhales through the nose, slow exhales out of the nose or mouth. Now bring your awareness to your legs. Maybe you wiggle your toes. Recognize the sensations that you feel in your legs, soles of your feet, your ankles, your calves and your shins, your knees, your thighs, glutes, hips. Scanning those parts of the body without judgment, without irritation, without the need to change any of it, scanning those parts of the body as an observer. If you notice any discomfort, soften there as you exhale. Continue to breathe. bring awareness to your torso, your belly, your rib cage, your chest, your back. Let your mind's eye travel from the low back to your mid back to your upper back. To your shoulders and then all the way down your arms until you get to your fingertips. Recognize the sensations you feel in all of those parts of the body. 
observe them. Continue to breathe. Continue to relax every time you exhale. Letting go of your physical tension. Softening. And now bring awareness to your head, to your face, to the jaw, to the neck and throat. Maybe even to the follicles of your hair. Relax all of the muscles there. Part your lips. Let your tongue float in your mouth. Continue to breathe. Notice how relaxed your body feels as you are staying focused and alert. Know that you can find that ease, that state of relaxation anytime that you need to. Perhaps you take a moment to set an intention for the rest of your day or week. Seal your meditation practice with one more deep inhale and long and steady exhale. Thank you so much for joining me for this short body awareness meditation. May all be well with you. Namaste. Namaste.